Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons Hey everybody, welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast. It is Thursday, April 8th. As always, we've got an awesome show for you guys today. We'll hit on a little bit of the NCAA championship game. Baylor, quote-unquote, shocking the world, destroying Gonzaga. Uh, a little bit of NBA. Major League Baseball is in full swing. We've got an awesome interview. It's Todd Fritz. Fritzy from the Dan Patrick Show coming up a little bit later. So let's get right into it. With me, as always, Andrew Schuster. What's up, my man? Not too much. I'm just looking to go to my local Zales and buy an engagement ring and hopefully run into Shaq there because he's just <laughs> – He's just buying them for anybody right now. Get it while it's hot, right? Yeah. Get it while it's hot. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, I guess stranger things have happened, but, uh, you know, if you want to keep going to Zales uh, on a weekly basis, hoping to look for Shaq, then, um, you know, good luck to you. I mean, it's the only way I'm going to get an engagement ring. Let's be honest. (laughs) You need to get one for yourself? (laughs) I I would marry myself in a second. I've got a lot to offer. I told Bill Belichick that he still has yet to sign me, so... Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, shout out to the hoodie and to Shaq. Andrew Schuster still available, still a free agent. <laughs> well, Andrew, so we're a couple days removed here from what many thought would be a awesome title game. Uh, it really wasn't. It you know it put a bow on a really really interesting fun tournament. Um, you know I've heard a lot of people you know, sort of the narrative is oh Baylor shocked uh, a really good Gonzaga team. To me, this is not a shock at all. I mean Baylor said it themselves. They are a bunch of dogs and dogs that. Gonzaga had not seen up to that point. Um, I thought they were the better team. I thought it was clear. Uh, you know, depending on some of the rumors that you hear, I guess they they got a little ticked off before the tip because they found out that Gonzaga uh, had ordered some uh, six boxes of champagne or something already in preparation for the victory. Which I don't know how that works out in college. I'm pretty sure that's a violation because most of those guys are under 21. But I'm not a narc or a cop, so we won't go there. But either way, whatever fuel uh, that Baylor needed for that fire, they got they got it in spades because they waxed Gonzaga. It was an ugly game, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it was shocking that Baylor won. I mean, yes, I picked Gonzaga, but if you had told me beforehand Baylor was going to win, I wouldn't have, you know, been shocked. It was just how they did it was shocking. You know, Baylor, I don't know that I remember a a team except maybe the 2015 Kentucky team that had Cat and Devin Booker that was just hyped the whole year long. It was their national title to lose. And so Gonzaga, like you were saying, they bought six boxes of champagne. They weren't doing that just to, you know, be overconfident. Like they really thought like we're going to be the the first undefeated college basketball team and win a title in 45 years. So it was more the how it happened that was kind of interesting as opposed to the end result being Baylor lifting the title at the end. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? It's hard to look at a team like Gonzaga, sort of a small school. Yes, they have become a powerhouse in the college basketball world, but they were getting a little cocky. I mean, certainly in that final four game against UCLA, which was one of the greatest games I've seen in probably my entire lifetime, probably one of the best in the history of March Madness. But, you know, it felt like after that, they kind of felt like they were a team of destiny being Gonzaga. And they kind of walked into that championship game, maybe not underestimating, but just thinking that they were going to go out there and they were going to be the better team like they have been all year long. And boy, did they get punched in the mouth. I mean, that was, that was ugly from start to finish. Baylor was clearly the better team. They deserved it. And, you know, congratulations not only to Baylor, but to Scott Drew, man. I mean, five, six years ago, it was one of the worst, maybe the worst controversy 
for a school worst black eye with you know the, the former coach covering up a murder of one of his players by another one of his players all the sanctions the lost scholarships I mean you're in Waco Texas there's not a whole lot going on there for Scott Drew to not only take that job and then take that team from the depths of hell to a national championship is is probably the greatest rebuilding story in the history of college basketball in my opinion totally and I think the way they went about doing it like we were just spelling out how great Gonzaga was for them to crush a team like Gonzaga and to go 30 and two in their own right. They're going to go down as one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time, let alone just at Baylor. So I think so. And let's put a bow on that just for Gonzaga. Right. I mean, certainly this was, you can call it a lost season. You can call it a huge disappointment. How do you think this team certainly there's going to be some new faces next year. We expect Jalen Suggs to probably go pro maybe drew Timmy, probably Clayton Kispert. Uh, Corey Kispert, excuse me. How do they bounce back from this? I mean, is this something where you can pick yourself up again and you've got, you know, that 16, 18 game slate in the West Coast Conference to get right next year? But I feel like this could have some farther reaching effects for that program, don't you? Well, I mean, I think uh, the simple answer is, is half those guys are going to be bouncing back by earning million dollar contracts as first round picks as lottery picks. Um, And then I don't think Gonzaga is going to be hurting they're going to be a top 10 team next year. I mean, they, they'll play an easy conference schedule. They're still going to have a great record at the end of the year. They're becoming somewhat of a national recruiting powerhouse. They're probably going to get Chet Holmgren, who's like the next great Zion-esque player. Doesn't look the same at all, but he's like an intimidating physical force that no one has really ever seen anything like him before. But so they're not going to be lacking for talent. They're not going to be lacking for opportunities to win another championship. But the thing you do want to look out for is they're going to be, are they going to gain the reputation of the school that makes it really far, but just can't quite win it. And if they're really, like you said, if there was ever a year where they were going to win it, there was no one blocking their path except for Baylor, clearly. It really seemed like it was going to be this season. Yeah, this was it. I mean, I think this kind of sealed the deal. They, they Up to this point, Gonzaga had been that team who was always sort of, you know, they, they grew from the little brother into the big brother who was beating up on everybody. But they were always they always carry the weight of that sort of stigma that they just couldn't get it done in the tourney. And this is just yet another year of that. And you can have all the talent in the world, but if that sort of air of uh, you know defeat, be, <laughs> snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, uh, can linger for a, for a long, long time. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that kind of plays into Mark Few's mindset and his team going forward, because that's a tough thing to shake, man. That's, that's a tough, tough way to go out for what could have been a perfect season. But speaking of bouncing around, I, I want to talk about this a little bit. So. In the transfer portal right now, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on over the NLI legislation, certainly with, you know, with COVID and all this stuff where now guys are being able to, NCAA is granting immediate eligibility if a guy's transferring to a new school. We've got about a thousand players in the transfer portal. I I just saw today, uh, Memphis picked up a huge transfer, Earl Timberlake, great name, uh, decommitted from Miami. And now he's, he's going to Penny Hardaway's squad with Memphis. But what do you make of sort of this, you know, almost like a, it's like a free for all. I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen anything quite like this a thousand players in the portal. You're going to see a lot of guys changing some duds, but um, do you see this as something that's, you know, maybe here to stay? Is it good for the game? Is it bad for the game? What, what's your take? Well, I think it's, it's certainly going to change the, the game and not just this season where you theoretically just have this one-time transfer rule, but I think there's going to be repercussions three or four years down the road. Cause think about it. You have incoming freshmen who've been given scholarships and, is the typical recruiting classes that teams are getting. Plus now there's all these seniors who would have otherwise graduated able to stay. I mean, you're basically having five grade levels of classes competing for four grade levels of roster spots. 
And so it's going to, it's going to impact kids eligibility. It's going to impact, say, you know, take a, a school like Kentucky, for example, where you have a five-star recruit coming in who may be raw, but is now playing for playing time against a five-year senior from another school that has earned their stripes in college basketball. And then that could potentially lead to the five-star kid recruiting the next year. It's just, we don't quite know exactly how this will impact the game, but it certainly will. And, you know, I, I talk about North Carolina basketball all the time. I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing it, but it plays into this. Roy Williams retired this week and it came out specifically that this what? was an aspect of why he retired. He's sick and tired of, of the game changing so rapidly. And at his age, he's like, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And so it's changing the, at that school specifically, but I think it just goes to show that the landscape's really changing in a way that it hasn't from what it looks, what it's looked like the past 50 years. Sure. Well, all due respect to Roy Williams, great man, great coach by all accounts, but the world is a place that changes, right? We're, we're defined by change, right? And this was always going to be something that was going to change, not necessarily the way that this is kind of shaken out over the last couple of years with all these players transferring, but this was always trending towards players getting paid for the, for the rights, their, their name and likeness, right? Um, just certainly if you're treating these guys, not as amateur athletes, but as a business, now they're going to potentially start getting paid for their own name and likeness. I kind of love it. I mean, aside from all of the sort of logistical issues that's going to make for institutions, you know, that are trying to foster these student athletes, yada, 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 it becomes like a, like a free agency frenzy. Right. And I mean, you're looking at teams who are maybe potentially sort of positioned to kind of feed off of this and, and improve. I mean, it's going to be the ones who can offer the most, you know, the most visibility, right. And you get you on TV. It's, it's still going to be the Dukes, the Carolinas, um, the Kentuckys of the world, it's just going to be sort of a different way of thinking. I mean, it's, it's interesting how, like you said, you know, if you've got that five-star freshman uh, competing for playing time against some guy who's transferring as a fifth-year senior, maybe we see that freshman transfer to, I don't know, you know, a, a sort of a mid-tier program, a Texas Tech or something like that, just kind of exciting. But I think the big picture, it's a really exciting time for college basketball and college sports in general. These guys are going to start getting paid. And you're going to start seeing a lot of guys moving around. And I just think it's, it's awesome. If you're going to treat it like a pro sport, like a pro sport or a pro league, except with the only exception being not getting paid. I mean, screw it. Let's just make it like a, everybody's a free agent at the end of the year. You can go wherever the heck you want. Let's just have guys make super teams in college. Why not? Screw it. I think, it, I think it's going to be wildly interesting and, you know, it, let's, let's see how it plays out. I, I think it'll be kind of cool to be honest with you. Well, it will certainly make it exciting for better or worse. Uh, yeah. The one thing I would counter with though, is I'd love to see some structure to it. A little bit of like, all right, we, you know, you want to transfer, you want to be able to go places. I mean, coaches can do that right now. You can, you can leave a program and immediately go coach somewhere else. Your players can't do that, which is a little hypocritical, but I'd love to see some structure in the sense of like, it, like it shouldn't be where you could go play at four different colleges in your four years in, in as a basketball player. Oh, they're not I going just, to school anyways. Well, I know, but like, you know what I'm saying? Theoretically, you could play at four different, you could play at Duke, Kentucky, Carolina, and UCLA if you really wanted to. <laughs> You're saying, I want to, I want to really get the rounds, but you know, I, 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 speaking from my experience as a, as a college basketball fan, the teams that I always loved the most were the teams where, you know, the guys would all come in as freshmen and they grow and they, and they build chemistry together. And by the time they're upperclassmen, not only are they really fun to watch and they're good, but you're really emotionally invested in them. It's, it's exciting to watch players like Zion and RJ Barrett come through. But if you're a Duke fan, and I've had my friends who are Duke fans say this, it's so hard to grow attached to those guys the same way it was with JJ Redick or John Shire or some of those four-year players where 
10 years from now, those are the players you're going to remember. You're going to be like, it was nice Zion came through, but the fact that we didn't win at the end of the day, it's like, who cares? You know, they don't, Duke fans don't really, they forget Kyrie Irving played there sometimes. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, I, look, structure is good, um, but the NCAA has been ruled by this quote unquote structure that really is unstructured completely. It's just whatever's good for the institution and the institution being the NCAA. Uh, and, and to your point, you know, while it would be very interesting to see some guy go to Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Syracuse in four years, if a guy is good enough to go to those four schools, I guarantee he's not staying four years. He probably only stays one. So that kind of takes takes that out of the equation. And the guys, like you mentioned, the John Shires of the world, those guys really have no reason to transfer, right? Because you're trying to get in one system. You've got your guys. And I do think, as you mentioned, you know, you go to war with your guys. You go to, this, you go to a certain school, you eat, sleep play practice with all the same guys they become your brothers they become your family so i think sort of in that way it it's going to structure itself but we'll, we'll certainly see how that plays out but let's go to the big boys let's talk a little nba um i actually want to because i was watching this last night suns jazz normally we're not talking about suns jazz but that was a sweet sweet game overtime game two of the best teams in the nba number one number two in the western conference the the suns pulled it out um I guess the interesting thing here is, you know, you've got some small market teams. I feel like a lot of your nuggets can be included in that as well, right? We're still talking Lakers. We're still talking in the Eastern Conference. It's the big boys. It's it's the Nets. It's the Celtics. It's the Sixers. Can the Suns and the Jazz, can they get any love out here? Or are they just going to be, you know, they're going to be who they are, this small market team, until they make some noise and, you know, maybe win a title? Yeah, it's it's really odd. And I'm spe- like I'm speaking with my experience as a Nuggets fan. The small market teams have to bend over backwards just to get the smallest ounce of respect. The Spurs had to go win multiple championships before we were like, we should probably start talking about the Spurs more often. It's just, you know, the, the Nets, clearly they look amazing. You know, they have three of the best players in the, in the world on their team, but they haven't proven anything together. They've barely played together. And yet they're all anyone can talk about. It's really hypocritical. And we all know why. It's because there's more viewers in New York than there are in Salt Lake City. And they're more exciting and drive up viewers. I get all that. But to sit there and talk from an, a, an aspect of discussing basketball and real life contenders, you know, the Jazz should be just as much in the conversation as the Nets or the Lakers are. And even if like, yes, they don't have the playoff track record, but neither do the Nets. And that's my whole point is, is we have to, you know, be consistent across how we analyze these contenders. And the one thing about Denver that's a little different is they have kind of proven it in the playoffs. I mean, they did make the Western Conference Finals last year. And even this year, people were like, well, I don't really know if they're a contender. It's like they were... <laughs> they were almost in the finals last year and they only got better this year. So there definitely is some, a little bit of hypocrisy there. That's annoying, especially coming from a small market fan. Sure. I mean, I hate to keep going back to this thing, but it's, it's a business, right? And, and in business, you're going to go with the, with the most eyeballs, the, the biggest sort of revenue centers. And the, really the, the only way to balance those scales, it's the great equalizer. You just win. So you keep your head down, you just win games, you go, you win titles, and people you, you force people to essentially start paying attention to you. And I do have to give a special shout out to Phoenix. So I live in Phoenix now. I'm no, I no means a Suns fan. I'm still Warriors all the way, but look out for Phoenix. They've won seven in a row, nine of the last 10, and second place in the West. I think three, two and a half, three games ahead of your Nuggets there, Andrew. Um, and for me, all the credit goes to Chris Paul. I, that guy just is... He's polarizing. He's that guy who you hate to play against. You hate him if he's not on your team, but you love him if he's on if he's on your team. And everywhere he goes, the guy just wins. I mean, really, on the surface of it, Phoenix isn't much different of a team as they were last year. And yeah, they made some noise in the bubble, but that was a team that was not going to really go anywhere. And you bring in CP3, and next thing you know, 
they're they're challenging for the number one spot in the West. So huge credit to Chris Paul. But let's stop down there. We've got a lot more NBA. We've got some MVP talk, NBA 25 under 25 list, which is an absolute clown show. We'll get into that, but we're going to stop down. We've got Todd Fritz from the Dan Patrick Show coming up next. All right, our guest today, and I'm really excited about this one, you guys, from the Dan Patrick Show, one of the Danettes, Todd Fritz, a.k.a. Fritzy, is joining us today. What's up, Fritzy? How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. I've been looking forward to talking to you guys. Listen to it's it, it the pleasure is all ours, my friend. I, I I'm so excited for this. But let, let's jump right into it. Let's you know the NFL. The draft is coming up here in a couple of weeks. A lot of moving and shaking. Yeah, the Jets and the Carolina Panthers just made a little trade for for Sam Darnold, so he's on the move. Uh, some you know some other big names kind of floating out there. Some potential moving here. Falcons are apparently open for business with the fourth pick. Curious to know sort of a two-part question. What do you think about the, the Darnold trade, both how it impacts the Panthers and the Jets? Certainly looks like the Jets are going to be taking Zach Wilson now, but also secondarily, do you see any movement with the Falcons at the fourth pick or maybe anywhere else uh, on that draft board? Yeah, I'm very curious about with the with the Falcons, you know, only because, you know, Matt Ryan's no spring chicken, but I still think he's got a, enough in him to uh, to stick with him at least one more year. I wouldn't be surprised if they go quarterback, whoever that might be, even if it's as a learning thing, whether it's Trey Lance or any of these young guys can definitely learn from Matt Ryan, you know, whether it's a year or two years, whatever, before they give uh, that uh, selection a chance to uh, fill Matt's uh, shoes. And as far as Donald, uh, I thought that, you know, just there, there wasn't enough weapons there with the Jets. I was uh, not shocked, but, you know, maybe the New Yorker in me, I'm a Brooklyn guy. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a big Bronco fan, I felt like, you know, Sam needed at least one more year. I think everyone made out well in the uh, with the trade. I'm curious to see what happens with uh, Bridgewater if they hold on to him or he's uh, off somewhere else. But I think... Um, I don't know. I don't. I think there's still a lot more to learn about Sam Darnold. You know, different coaches and coordinators and a team that you know are they trying to win? Are they not trying to win? And they shot themselves in the foot with weird wins against the Rams and Browns. And you know, they could have possibly had Trevor Lawrence. And and they've given up on Darnold. And I've read mixed reviews. And uh, you know, I don't profess to be a, an NFL draft expert. I don't put any mock drafts out there or anything. But um, I think he'll. I think he'll. He needed a change of scenery. And I. Uh, I'm rooting for him. And, and Joe Douglas supposedly is rooting for him too the Jets GM but I think uh, maybe away from the New York media and the pressure and uh, just a change of scenery in Carolina I'd love to see him do well with the Panthers totally and you know you said at the top huge Broncos fan and sort of the viewers at home that can't see this look at you yeah I mean I'm so happy my Broncos homers help me (laughs) but you know speaking of the Broncos yeah speaking of the Broncos I think they're a possible candidate to move up to that fourth spot especially with some of the chatter coming out the last couple of weeks that the Niners may go Mac Jones at three, leaving Justin Fields still on the board at number four. What do you think about whether it's the Broncos or another team moving up and possibly going for Fields at number four? Would that be kind of the steal of the draft, do you think? I think that would be a big deal. And uh, bias aside, you know, I, I, I gave Drew Luck, I feel, as a fan, all the chances. You know, that he shows some signs of, uh, you know, a spark. I like his enthusiasm. I like his moxie, and he's dancing around. He's all pumped up. He certainly loves playing quarterback. But I don't think he's the long-term answer. And it, it pains me to say that because they, I saw some moments where I was excited and rooting for him. I'm like, maybe this is the guy. And they've been just striking out for the past several years after Manning. And it seems like 15 years ago, not five years ago, that they beat the Panthers in Super Bowl 50. I'm sure you can relate. It seems like a long 
long time. We were always the class of the AFC West, and I guess that we got spoiled. But they were always at the top. It was just a matter of that we knew they were going to win the division. It was just a matter of who they're going to play in the playoffs. Are they going to get a home game? Are they going to get home field advantage throughout the playoffs against the Brady and the Patriots? And now all of a sudden we're in last place. We can't even get to 500. It's just miserable. And they need to make a move. I, I got excited about Russell Wilson before all this Deshaun Watson stuff was going on. I thought that he was another one that they might aggressively pursue, but that seems out the window with all his legal problems. But they need to be aggressive and make a move. I love John Elway, and I don't like hearing chatter about maybe he's not the right guy guy for the job i know he kind of gave up the gm duties and is just being you know president of operations or whatever but they got to shake things up we we bronco fans we're used to them being ahead of the raiders Chargers, and chiefs all the teams in the afc west have gotten a lot better the raiders are better maybe not significantly better but they're better the chiefs are the chiefs with mahomes and the super bowl and everything and justin herbert and the chargers they're rolling we're the weakest team in the division and it again it pains me to see that when i'm looking at the afc west standings and denver down at the bottom and you know it's struggling just to uh, to score sometimes three and outs um pat plays that like just predictable offensive drives run run incomplete pass um the rookie guys dropping balls left and right i hope they have a stronger second year especially judy i just have big expectations for them and they, they have a lot of work to do and it starts obviously at quarterback to get back to where denver belongs in the uh, in the western uh, in the kind of whole conference but especially the afc west Totally. Yeah. I feel like the last five years each year, I'm like, no, this is the year they're going to be right back on track. It was just, it was a one-year problem. Then it was a two-year problem. It's, it's frankly, they have a good roster. I feel like they just need a quarterback. They got got powerful. They got a great young offensive core. They they got, they got a, a, you know, strong defense. It might not be as strong as it was back in the Super Bowl days with the no fly zone and everything like that, but they've got a, you know, I'd say above average defense and these young receivers. Okay. It'll take a little time, you know, but they're speedy. And, you know, these guys with their backgrounds in Alabama, Noah Fant was coming around. They've, they've got the weapons, but you know, Locke is, uh, I think they need to, uh, they need to upgrade the QB position or we're going to be sitting in the, in the cellar. And I just, like, I can't accept that and go into another season wondering if they can find a way just to get to nine and seven or nine and eight or whatever. Now that there's a 17 game schedule, it's, just, it's not yeah. acceptable. Five and 11, six, you know, six and 10, that we can't have that. Yeah. Well, Fritzy, I, I hate to break up this Broncos left. <laughs> beautiful, promise me, but you mentioned Deshaun Watson. I want to yes. ask about that and we won't get into the nitty gritty. We're not that kind of show, but right. certainly, you know, we talked about Sam Donald, right? The Carolina Panthers traded for Sam Donald. They were once really probably one of the top two or three teams who were a heavy favorite to, to maybe put together a trade package for Deshaun Watson. Obviously that is kind of off the table. Now Deshaun is, you know, he's losing sponsorships left and right. It's getting uglier and uglier as we go. Really, my question from that standpoint is, is where, where does this end up for Deshaun, right? Not necessarily from a, a, a personal standpoint or any of the politics of that, yeah. but, you know, I mean, I can't, at this point, can you see anybody even even entertaining an idea of trading for Deshaun it, Watson right it now? See, it seems like a very awkward, you know, I've met him a few times. We've had him on the show. Seems like a very nice, soft-spoken guy, but you never, you know, anybody. The, and But who knows what's, you know, what's, uh, how innocent or, he is or not, or whatever, whatever's going on. I know we're not trying this on the, on the show here, but I will say that it's um, in this, especially in this cancel culture we're living in and in the social media world, 
that, you know, the court of public opinion, you know, we had Sean Salisbury on the show today and he's right there obviously doing his sports talk 790 show uh, in Houston. And it's just, you know, response, whether the sponsors, which I know that, you know, that's a big thing where, you know, that usually is the last, uh, the last resort when all of a sudden, just when you're not sure what to do with the guy, once the sponsors leave and the money leaves that, you know, hurts him personally, professionally and the organization, you know, there's talk about should Roger Goodell be putting him on the, on the exempt list. And, you know, and it was not too long ago where he looked like he had all the cards. I'm not going to play. I'm going to sit out. Maybe I'll come back for the last five or six games so I could still get my money and still, you know, there's ways of finagling that, I guess, where you can hold out for a certain number of weeks and and then come back in and still get your uh, credit and then you can jump from there financially. But I, I don't think I don't think a team can really, you know, and again, it's innocent until proven guilty. But, you know, when there's two, eight, 10, 12, 19, 22, you know, you start wondering, you know, all these people are lying and trying to take down to show what, like, why would they do that? And now a couple have come forward and they're comfortable putting a name and a face to their allegations. It's just, it's a really horrible situation. And again, there was a time where I was hoping Denver would be going after Russell and Deshaun, but at least in the short term, until we hear more and see how this plays out in court, you know, I think it would be tremendously bad publicity wise for the league and for the individual teams that would still be trying in these three weeks leading up to the draft to try to uh, get Deshaun on their roster. I just, I don't see that. And, uh, and it's a shame again, you know, you know, we think we know these guys were rooting for them and, you know, and you're wearing their jerseys and, you know, we'd like to think the best of them and, you know, but you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And, you know, I hope uh, you can only hope if you're a Deshaun Watson fan that this is not true, but the more people that come forward and, you know, that emotional, you know, seeing that woman, you know, when, when they start talking about details and they get emotional like that, unless you're some kind of a Academy award-winning actress, like, I don't know what, why would you, be, and, and not all of them are looking for money. They won't just want to be heard and say what was supposedly done to them. It's uh, I think he's someone you got to stay away from. Yeah. For now, it's anyway. An epic fall from grace. And it didn't take too long. Like you said, he, he held the cards not, not long ago, right. He looked like he was just going to, he was going to dictate where he was going to end up. And now we don't even know if he's going to be back on the field for the next year or two. And, and he's a great talent, but he's not Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. The only reason I say that from a football standpoint, you know, there are certain players, maybe you're so great that you can wink at some of these horrible allegations and you still want to find a way to get this guy in your team. But, yeah. you know, he's not a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He's a, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but he's, I don't think he's someone that a team can risk you know, unless you were like the Michael Jordan of the sport, you know, to put your eggs in that basket right now, who's, you know, who you, I guess he's part of the elite quarterback group, but he's not someone where you can ignore all these allegations and say, well, it's all about winning and we got to get this guy and then we'll worry about dealing with fans and protests or what he may or may not have done, you know, with, with the masseuses. It's just, uh, it's just ugly. And we know, and every day we try to cover this properly. We've invited the attorneys on on both sides. You know, we'll have people on just talking about it from a non-legal standpoint, because, you know, we're not attorneys and we're not going to profess to be that but that's you know as you guys know too you know we're doing a three-hour show every day and that's one of the topics that has to be discussed but we gotta as they say stay in our lane in terms of you know you know what we know and what we can comfortably say without you know coming across ridiculous and journalistically you got to be real careful what you're saying in an open national radio and tv mic unless you really really know what you're talking about right that's the kid glove scenario you gotta yes very very yes. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable awkward topic and you know you you, you don't want to you can't ignore it because it's a it's a big story but you just you got to really couch what you're going to say without knowing all the facts definitely yeah and you, and you have to give a voice to the victims and all that but what's also interesting is it just seems like there's still so much information that's going to come out just considering the pace at which there's more and more you're just like, I can't believe this is a part of it now. It's, it's almost can't comment because you don't know what the full story is. It's no, really. And, and we may not know for a while. And you, you, we can 
we, we, well, we, could, we could talk about it from a football standpoint as far as his stock and what teams should or shouldn't still be interested in him and what's going to become of his future and things like that just from our, you know, our silly little, you know, sports world, you know, but which is meaningless compared to such horrible allegations civilly and criminally and what these women uh, may have gone through. You know, we get to kind of play in our little playground and talk about it just from a football standpoint and how it could affect the draft and Texans and other teams that need a quarterback. But outside of that, it's very delicate, as you guys know. Absolutely. Well, listen, one last topic on the NFL, and I'm going to actually bring it over to a homer on my side. And you mentioned, you know, teams needing a quarterback, right? I'm a huge Niner fan. Grew up in San mm -hmm. Francisco, the Joe Montana years, Dwight Clark, the catch, oh, yeah. the, the catch number two with uh, with Vernon Davis, Terrell Owens, all this stuff. I mean, <laughs> a huge, huge Niner fan. Um, I, I was as surprised as anybody that they traded up from 12 to three. Certainly, it seems like, you know, Shanahan and Lynch have their guy. There's obviously the talk about Mac Jones. Trey Lance is there, but he's kind of falling off the discussion. From my standpoint, I may just drop dead if we if we draft Mac Jones. I really want. <laughs> why, why were you Why were you so shocked that they you wanted them to stay there or move up a little bit or well, how did you see them spending these next few weeks leading up to the Thursday the 29th? What did you want the team? You to know, do? If, if I'm being honest, it certainly hurts to see. I feel like we have a team that's built to contend now, but it, that that's all predicated on having a cute quarterback who can stay on the field, right? And Jimmy Garoppolo has proven that he can't do that. And certainly we've got one more year. We don't have any guaranteed money to him. So it's basically it could be a clean cut if he can't stay on. We certainly need to find somebody other than a CJ Beathard or Nick Mullins to back him let me, up. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you, if you knew he was going to be healthy and he was going to be able to stay on the field and play all 17 games, is he, and it sounds like, I think I know the answer to this because you don't like that they moved up. Is he good enough or great enough a quarterback where you're happy going into the year with him? Your concern is more about staying healthy as opposed to being, you know, a good enough quarterback to lead the Niners like deep into the playoffs and back to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think so. You know, I certainly worry about the mistakes and G Jimmy G has made far too many of them. He, he, he forces throws way too much, but I think for what we are right now sort of built as a team, I think Jimmy G is, is the guy that could get us there. And even if we, you know, regardless of who we drafted three, they're not starting day one. It's going to be Jimmy G's team. It's going to be his job to yeah. lose. And, you know, Shanahan said as much, right? The, this should be good for Jimmy. This is Jimmy, a little competition, a little fire under his ASS. And, right? and, we, love, and we love to use the word narrative. How does the narrative change? If he doesn't overthrow Emmanuel Sanders, they're winning the Super Bowl, basically. Right. Yeah. Really weird happen. That, that pass, if he doesn't overthrow him, the 49er, he's now a Super Bowl champion quarterback. And we all love Jimmy G. And maybe and Patrick Mahomes isn't the greatest thing ever quite as much. And right. it's just very interesting how one play here or there, and that's what we love about sports. But one moment here or there, this guy's great. This guy's terrible. This guy choked. This guy's my hero. This one's the GOAT. It's just, it's just, and I hate using that word narrative. It's overused in, in sports talk. But it would, things would be very different in how the perception of Jimmy G, if nothing else, forget about Mahomes or anyone else, he, they were about to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, Emmanuel Sanders was held on that play as well. No big <laughs> deal. But, uh, but just back to the question, because I just I want to get your take from I've already kind of I'm a, I'm a Justin Fields guy. I think he's the right guy for the future of the franchise, regardless of what happens with Jimmy G. Now, everybody's kind of coming out saying Mac Jones is the decision maker that Shanahan needs. That's who the guy that's the guy they want. Who do you think they take it through? Uh, from what everyone's saying, it's Mac Jones. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've watched 
I, I hate to disappoint you. I, I, but again, I'm just we're just looking at mock drafts, and you're yeah, looking yeah. at what, what uh, Daniel Jeremiah and and, uh, and McShay and Kuiper and all these people saying. No one really knows until draft day. But you know, but it's very frustrating because you just don't know. There's too many mysteries. One thing we talked about on our show, and Dan makes a, a good point with Mac Jones. When you're on such a great team like Alabama, and you have the receivers and the running back, and you have and the coach, and you have all the things in place, how do you really know how great the quarterback is? You can't help but wonder what if another quarterback with similar skills, maybe not as good as what we think Mac Jones is or may be on the NFL level, could have done just as good a job. He, Dan also talks about throwing receivers open. These receivers fly by everybody. And, you know, not that you or I could hit them with a pass necessarily, but how do you know how good Mac Jones is if these guys are wide open and you're not, you know, in the practice of having to throw a guy open and put it in a spot where they have to get to it or put, you know, yeah. thread the needle. And I just, I, I haven't seen enough. I've watched plenty of college football, but I haven't seen enough on these guys, certainly not breaking down videotapes like all these scouts do and they go there and they're watching all these films like NFL films they're in the basement studying hours and hours and out of Linux but uh, I do like uh, I know you, you don't but I like the aggressiveness of San Francisco uh, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do and how many quarterbacks actually go one two three four and how many yeah. go in the first round especially in that first half of the first round but it starts getting interesting starting with that fourth pick with the Falcons you know it seems like the first three obviously are going to be quarterbacks and if the fourth one is two you know what's the future with the Matt Ryan with Atlanta just the same thing with Bridgewater where's his place is he you know the backup to Donald are they fighting for the starting job it's not clear to me anyway is Bridgewater pretty much out the door Donald's the guy and you know whoever else they were I don't know what they would do as a backup quarterback if Bridgewater was gone but uh you should I think you should be excited about your Niners I know you may have your eye on one quarterback versus another whether it's Fields or Lance over Mac Jones but I I'm not and again, I'm buying into the narrative of how they, you know, the injuries and I don't know if Jimmy G is the, uh, is the long-term answer. Then there's, then, then you hear the buzz, you know, is he going to end up back with the Patriots? And there's just, there's so many things out there that may or may not be true that scouts and GMs and coaches throw out there. But, you know, I, I'm very curious, obviously what Denver's going to do, but if I, if the Broncos had the uh, third pick, I would be very pumped. Even, even if Jimmy G instead of Drew Locke was our uh, current quarterback, it's, I think you should be pumped as a Niner fan and be excited with uh, whatever they do. And maybe if it's Mac Jones, maybe it'll be a pleasant surprise for you and he'll be awesome and the Niners will get back to the uh, to the glory days. They have a great team. They were just in the Super Bowl. So they, they, you know, and they had a lot of injuries recently and that you know kind of took them off their path. And even with all the injuries the last couple of years, they still found a way to make noise and, uh, and do some damage. So imagine if they're healthy and they get a, a nice uh, young quarterback to uh, – Trying to get them back to where they were, they're uh, they're right there. It, it's a very competitive division. That's the that's a, another tricky thing that needs to be mentioned about uh, sure. about the West with your uh, with your Seahawks and your even if he's a malcontent, will do with your and the Cardinals are are getting better and they added some uh, some pieces. Those are uh, and JJ Watt and everything. So the NFC West that's that's arguably the most exciting uh, division. Certainly going into the draft to see how these things are going to play out. I would agree with that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm very nervous, but if Fritzy says that I should be excited, I'll be excited. What does it help to be depressed or, or nervous or, or bummed? That doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah, you the they're going to pick, pick who they're going to pick, whether you, whether you like, you know, you know, you, unless you have a special call that you're going to make and you have a connection with Shanahan and Lynch, they're going to do what they want anyway. You're just a fan and they're going to make the pick and you have to, you know, you can boo and let them show at the draft and people are crying or screaming or yelling in their, you know, in their jerseys about how, well, who's he? Why did you pick? You know, we, we love seeing all that and the reactions, but you know, whoever it is, the, the people that are smarter than us must know something, and hopefully that'll play out on the field for your uh, 
Oh, I appreciate it, Fritzy. Don't worry. I'm not a burn your jersey guy or a you know, <laughs> scream and cry guy. I'm just, I'm quietly a little bit worried because to be honest with you, I okay. kind of thought that if we stayed at 12, Mac Jones might still be there. Now it doesn't seem like that's the Probably case. Probably not. Get your pizza and wings or whatever you enjoy on Thursday the 29th. Put on your Niners hat and jersey, whatever you like to do. Find your comfortable spot on the couch and put on a fun, nice comfortable pair of sweats like I would be doing. I'll be wearing, I'm sure, my Bronco stuff as if I'm on camera and people are watching my reaction. And just, uh, you know, get a nice cold drink and have fun and enjoy yourself and root for your Niners and whoever they pick. You know, try to be all in on that because that's that's going to be your guy now. You know, whether that person is, is your first choice of quarterback, whether they're starting right away, whether they're sitting on the bench and learning with a clipboard, whatever it is. You know, if you love your Niners as much as you profess, which I know you do, you know, you got to be all in on your team and whether you love that pick or not. And they, they have a reason for going up to three. There's someone that they really have their eye on that they're afraid they're not going to get unless they move up. There was a reason why they jumped up because they want to make sure they grab that specific guy. So go Niners for you. Go Niners. I feel much better. For you. Thank you. I appreciate I'm glad. it. I'm <laughs> yeah. I think just kind of moving gears here, I want to touch on, you know, working at Dan Patrick show. Cause to me, when I, when I watch clips or I watch the show, I'm just kind of like, how great would it be to be on that show where you're working, but it's so clear you're having fun. And you're just like you said earlier, like it's like a playground. Like you get yeah, to just go and, and have an adult playground as your work every day. What is that like? It's it's awesome. And it's not lost on me. Um, just, you know, the, just laughs and the camaraderie and the best compliment we can get, which we've heard on the road or some, you know, or a caller might tell us that when they say, you know, I feel like I'm like buddies with you guys. And I could totally, I feel like I'm hanging out in my living room or in a bar with you guys, or someone was going through some kind of illness or, or family, you know, situation, whatever. And they look to our show to get an escape and have that that blend of information and entertainment and laughs and fun and that we don't take ourselves too seriously. We all have these individual personalities and bring different things and characteristics to the show. And sometimes things work so well that people think it's scripted, like you're going to say this and then I'll say this and you make that joke. We just kind of wing it. The only thing that's uh, scripted for lack of a better word is we'll have a couple of you know guests that are booked in advance and we'll have a little rundown of you know an idea of what we may talk about maybe a poll question and things like that which is a very general framework but once we get going we don't know what direction this, the show is going to go in there's breaking news i got to go after a certain guest or i may have to cancel a guest because that doesn't that, that person doesn't fit now because all of a sudden the news is taking us to football so we can't really talk to a, a baseball or basketball person now and, and you're juggling stuff and this one is zooming in but there's a technical problem we got to get them on the phone now because the zoom you know went down there's just a million different things going on but ultimately and i appreciate you saying that we're we want to have fun we want to make sure we're covering the stories of the day i put the pressure on myself to make sure we're getting the a-lister guests on and if i can't get the exact newsmaker on then who's the next best person i'm always challenging myself and dan's challenging me and the rest of us you know what are we talking about today how do we move stories along he's always saying that how do we advance the story let's not just put a guest on to put a guest on does this person have information you know whether it's something we saw them tweet or something we saw that mentioned on sports center or another show or just something we're hearing or from any of our connections you know how, how do we present this so that you know we can feel at the end of the day we had the right people on we covered it in an intelligent way and you know that was just a three-hour block of a, the proper combination and, and there's no formula for that but did everyone have fun and did we you know provide some type of information and these days a release 
from what's going on in the world where people can smile and look forward to our show. There's no better compliment than that. How many careers are there where you're, you're, you can do something and it's affecting other people? You know, I'm not a doctor. I can't save lives that way and operate on someone or anything. But if, I, if we can make people laugh and forget about their daily problems for a, a couple hours a day and they make it a business like to look forward to our show, whether they're watching it live or listening to it live or, you know, as a podcast kind of thing at their leisure to listen to it later on, it's a, it's a big deal to us. And I love the fact that I can go to work each day and Dan allows us to be part of the show. He wants our opinions. It's not a dictatorship. He doesn't say, Todd, I want A, B, and C on the show. Go get them on the show and, and you do this and you do that. It's just, he wants everyone's input. He wants us to be on our A game. Let's go. We have a morning meeting. Let's throw out ideas. What are we talking about today? What are we doing? We're constantly communicating with each other all hours of the day and night. When that show ends at noon Eastern, the work is first starting then because now it's the next show and the next show and the next show. It's a three hour show every day. It's not a weekly show where we have this big staff of people where we're putting together a half hour show or something. We've got to be on our game and excited and enthusiastic, which we are. And uh, you know, how do we do something unique and different that uh, everyone else is doing? Absolutely. And I've been a fan, uh, you know, hands to God, I've been a fan of your show for the better, better part of a decade. I think you guys do it as well, if not better than anybody else out there. And as someone with a background in, in production, I mean, I've worked for the Jim Rome show for Jimmy Kimmel. I, I know that kind of grind, right? Where you're wrapping up one show, it's on to the next, right? It's on to the next. Absolutely. The next. It never, it never ends. And you're, doing with, and you're doing with time zones and like, you know, and, you know, I feel not guilty going to bed. I don't want to be dramatic, but once it's, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, it's like, it's obviously it's only, you know, not eight, nine, 10 o'clock on the West coast. I'm always wondering as I'm about to go to bed and put my phone down at any moment, the big trade, so, yeah. something, a tragedy, God forbid, or so, so someone just got caught with steroids or someone got fined or suspended or there's some big blockbuster deal, or there's just a million different things can happen. And I'm, I'm not going to find out about it till the next morning. And then, you know, just those, those hours when you're not staring at your phone, and in this world of you need the information right away with with your tweets and everything i just it's always weird the first thing i do when i get up in the morning which you know which a lot of people do i'm not patting myself on the back but i feel obsessively i gotta grab my phone before i get up to go to the bathroom or get dressed or anything i'm like i just want to make sure i don't have any emergency texts or headlines or some someone sent me a note about something that i need to react to right away because by the time 9 a.m eastern comes you know whatever happened in those hours from noon the day before to 9 a.m the next day we better be up to date on what's going on be able to talk about it intelligently and i better have pursued the right guests of whatever happened over those 21 hours between shows and and i take that extremely seriously and i've always looked at the dan patrick show just like when i worked on up close like this is the show to be on i have to have that approach just like what leno and letterman and oprah and ellen whatever whatever is the, whatever the big time talk show hosts are in all facets of life beyond sports you know, this is the show that, you know, that people I hope are listening to, to get their sports fix and to be really up to date on what's going on. And the newsmakers will hopefully, you know, come on our show. If not first, then, you know, in addition to whatever other, you know, media they might be doing, but that's very important to me that we can advance stories and break news and get the right people. And, and, and as the talent producer and the, and the person that's been booking the guests for 18, 19 years with Dan from the ESPN days in Bristol, I, I put that pressure on myself and it's not always healthy and whatever, whatever I do, I always wish I could do better. Or if someone is on another show or they, some other show made news or, or, you know, we had the same guest on, but we didn't get that quote, you know, and I'm sure Dan gets frustrated. It's like, oh, if, if I would that question i would have elicited that response and i know he beats himself up because he's a perfectionist i should have asked him that instead of enjoying whatever we did he's always analyzing right after the interview he's often wondering oh i should have maybe asked that in a different sequence or i should have followed up with that and those are the kind of people you want to work with those are the uh, 
the people that are passionate and want to, uh, you know, kick ass and uh, make some big things happen. So that's why I guess I've been with Dan for almost two decades. I see that passion and that drive that there was life after ESPN when he took me and some of the other guys from, uh, from Bristol to start our own thing. And that's, uh, that makes you get up in the morning excited because we love sports and we know that uh, we have a voice with Dan and he wants it to be, you know, a group effort. And what more can you ask for? You know, imagine going to work and someone's just telling you, it's just, this is what you got to do today. And here's a list of the stuff you got to do. But we, we get to be creative. I get to write limericks or sing or do mock headlines or just so many other things beyond just booking the show. I prep the guests with, you know, interview questions and he wants that stuff, research, whatever we can all do. We're all wearing a lot of hats and that's what uh, I think makes it awesome that it's not like you do that and you do that and and we're always looking to do what else can I do you know beyond whatever you know you're getting paid for whatever you know your specific roles are there is no specific roles I may be the main person booking the show but Paulie may have a connection with someone or you know McLovin has an idea or seems like why don't we get this person on you know no one you know no one's got an ego there we're, we're all doing each other's jobs sometimes and and I, I love when people say, wow, I really feel like I'm part of the family there. I could totally hang with you guys. That means we're doing something right. 100%. That's why you guys are the best in the biz. But Fritzy, you've been so kind with your time. I want to ask you one last thing about the sure. show. You guys are widely known. And certainly when I'm listening, it's kind of always seems like whenever you got somebody on, Dan is the best of the best at sort of co coercing memorabilia, you know, a little something. <laughs> all. I see you've got the, the Permian Panthers, the Riggins 33 gamer on. Um, Maybe looking back over the years, what's what's maybe a, a favorite piece or two for for Todd Fritzy that you guys have ever gotten from from a guest on the show? Uh, I, I know the one thing that Dan always mentions, which I have to agree, is Ryan Leaf. And you probably, I know you've watched the show for many years, so you've seen uh, that the Ryan Leaf Colts sixteen uh, jersey that he was kind it. enough to. Uh, to, uh, to give us and we have that framed and it's like if Ryan Leaf would have been picked instead of Manning by the Colts you know that actual jersey that was that, that would have been handed to Leaf that is pretty awesome there's a lot of other things that I'm sure I'm going to forget some but that jumps out at me is like how cool is that item and I'm not uh, a Colts fan obviously or anything like that I love Ryan and uh, he's been going through a lot of stuff personally but I'm always uh, you know I admire and I'm inspired by some of the things when you read about what he's doing on social media to fight some of his demons but that, you know the fact that he gave that to us and then Carson Palmer gave us his Heisman Trophy I don't know if we're allowed to keep it or not, but at least for now, he, he actually sent us his Heisman Trophy to, to display in the man cave. And we started in, in Dan's attic when we left ESPN in a little makeshift studio in his house while the kids are getting ready for school with uh, with dad's wife you know getting them ready to go off to school and then we moved into a little studio above a subway in downtown milford and now we're in this much bigger studio in milford with a basketball court and a little mini football field you've seen it and it's yeah. just a memorabilia everywhere and there's there's like weights and there's like a little gym there and everything it's much more spacious and to look back on my little cubicle in bristol to the little attic in dan's house to the, the little studio above a subway to where we are now and being nominated three years in a row for sports Emmys and all the other accolades and, and events we've covered and people we've met and, and the stories we broke. I'm, uh, I'm very you know, excited about that and I'm very proud of uh, what we've all done. And, and all, if nothing else, and I know that means a lot to Dan too, that there's life after the four letters. When I got hired by ESPN, I was so excited. And to this day, I'm so proud that I worked at ESPN for 14 years, both in LA and in Bristol. And I look back on that and, and to leave on your own terms and take a chance with Dan and feel you know that confident that this guy's a star. Whatever he does is gonna turn to gold. And if he found something in me and a few other guys that he wanted to take us with him to move on to other things after the Dan Patrick show on ESPN radio and sports center, you know, 
we took a leap of faith and uh, you know there were days where we're like what are we doing we were at ESPN and now we're in the attic and dad's house and we have like one affiliate and now we have like 400 affiliates and Sirius XM channel 211 he's got his own channel and Peacock and we were with AT&T and Turner and DirecTV and now we're uh, NBC Sports Network now we're back with NBC on Peacock and you know it's just just it's amazing where how far we've come and it's great to have been there since day one to have been along for the ride since like june of 02 so it's going to be 19 years i guess in a, in a couple months which uh, you know i cannot believe but i'm extremely proud of that there's life after the mothership and you guys are <laughs> as anybody fritzy well todd thank you so much again todd fritz from the from the dan patrick show make sure to check him out on twitter at brooklyn fritzy it's todd fritz fritzy thank you so much man you're the best my pleasure i really enjoyed it and i hope we can do it again soon Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thanks, Take guys. Care. All right, we're back. Our special thanks to Todd Fritz. Fritzy, I, I, I don't even know what to say about that guy, but we could have like a six-hour show, and I think he could probably just carry the entire show, but he was awesome. Also, be sure to check him out on Twitter, at Brooklyn Fritzy, and I would tell you to watch the Dan Patrick Show, but anybody who's listening to this show is probably listening to the Dan Patrick Show already, so just go check it out. You, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. But, Andrew, we had mentioned before we got on with Fritzy there – a little bit of NBA talk. I want to talk about this. So there was a list that dropped a couple of days ago. It's the NBA 25 under 25 list, right? I don't know what it is about list guys, but anybody, it feels to me, it feels to me like anybody who's creating a list is just doing it to piss people off because I'm looking at this list and you've got just the top three, Luca, Zion, and LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball ahead of Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. Uh, Jamal Murray's at 13. Okay. Yeah. Miss me with that. John Morant, 15, Trey Young, 16. I mean, I could go all day at how wrong this is, but I mean, what is this? Is this like a troll job, Andrew? Or like, do you actually think somebody legitimately thinks that LaMelo Ball is the third best player in the NBA under 25 years old? I don't think it was just somebody. I think it was multiple people because you know how this list was constructed was multiple writers at ESPN did the list and then they averaged out what the positions were on everyone's list. Like, so it's not just one guy going, I'm going to ruin everyone's day. I'm a big Charlotte Hornets fan. I'm going to put LaMelo number three. It's he, he got the average. He was average at number three. And I'm not saying LaMelo couldn't one day end up being the third best player on this list. Cause he could. And I think Luca and Zion are perfectly fine picks to be one too. I think those are probably the right choices, but to see some of the other ones where it's like De'Aaron Fox is number six. De'Aaron Fox is a great basketball player, but there's no way in hell. He's they, the Kings haven't sniffed the playoffs since like 2006 and he hasn't been there at all when they've been competitive, to be above Ben Simmons, to be above Bam Adebayo, to be above Jamal Murray. I mean, and again, Shea Gildas Alexander, great player. He's going to have a great career. To be above Jamal Murray, who I know isn't always the most consistent regular season player, and I'm a homer, I'm a Nuggets homer. But bubble like every other night. Bubble Murray broke like Michael Jordan's scoring playoff records. Yeah, (laughs) I, I see what you're saying. I mean, like, if this is a list maybe five years from now, like 2025, uh, maybe. But, yeah, for right now, there's no way you could convince me in any world that LaMelo Ball is better than the likes of Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons, Jamal Murray, and the like. I mean, it's absolutely insane. That's just the stupidest list I've ever seen. Yeah, if the intent was to make us mad, then it's the greatest list of all time. But if, if it was to literally say, here's the 25 best players under 25, it's – it's a joke. It's a clown show. Pennywise wrote this. Yeah, well, congrats to the folks at ESPN because it got me angry over something that really doesn't matter at all. But here I am just soapboxing about it. But 
All right, Andrew, let's jump over really quickly. I know we're not big golf guys, but we'd be hard-pressed if we didn't mention the Masters, which is kicking off today. Seen a few, uh, you know, a few of the guys finish their rounds. Dustin Johnson, the defending champ, he was, I believe, four over. He had a tough day. He had that double bogey on 18, which was ugly. Let's not go into the nitty-gritty here because we're running out of time, Andrew, but, you know, maybe what's a big storyline or two uh, that's coming out of this weekend, and who, do you, who are you looking at to win this thing? I mean, I would love to see Brooks Kepka win just because one, well, I think I think he's a great player. And obviously, I just love kind of his he just shows up for the biggest tournaments. His his skill at at, at the at the Masters and any of the rest of the the major tournaments is kind of reminiscent of like a LeBron or a Michael just showing out in the finals. Like you don't really see that that whole like athlete clutchness when it comes to golf as much. You saw it with Tiger for sure, but Tiger is a one-of-a-kind player. I think Brooks Kepka is the next best thing when it comes to a guy who's great week in and week out, but he saves his absolute best and puts on a show when the moment matters the most. And I'd love to see him win another green jacket. I'm also a big Rory guy. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm interested to see who wins. It'd be kind of cool to see Dustin Johnson win twice in five months. That would be a really fun wrinkle to it. But like you said, we're not golf guys. We can't really give great analysis. It's just kind of who we w- would like to see win more than anything. Yeah, maybe not great analysis, but we are men's, men of our word. And, and saying we're not golf guys, I guess I take it you didn't know that Brooks Kepka just had knee surgery, uh, Andrew, one that's supposed to have a four to six month recovery, and he's coming back a week later from knee surgery. Did you know well, that? Well, we are filming this actually on April Fool's Day, and today is being released on April 8th. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that just goes to show you what I know about golf. <laughs> When's this thing coming back a week after major major knee surgery and he's plus two in his first round today so it doesn't really look good for him but if he wins this thing somehow it might be the greatest story in golf history I I don't know but I'm with you I actually I'm a big Justin Johnson fan I love him he was plus two I I misspoke so he's he's got a a long road to hoe I think the leader Justin Rose is at minus seven he had a great round today I would love to see uh Dustin Johnson win it again it's one of the hardest trophies to win in all sports the green jacket not only to win it, but to, to back it up and go back to back. Plus, it's not always the worst thing in the world to see uh, a celebration with Paulina Gretzky on the screen. So uh, here we go. Here we go, DJ. Let's uh, bring it back home. Huh? Let's go back to back. But Andrew, here, let's put a bow on this thing. Let's go our dude and dud of the week. Hit me with it. Well, like I said at the top, my dude of the week has to be Shaq. Because that whole video, I'm sure everyone's seen it, of him just on the spot. Being like, I'll buy your engagement ring. It's pretty cool. Shaq has a lot of hats he wears. You know, he's a DJ. He's a cop. But Good guy Shaq is my favorite Shaq, I think. Dude, then, Shaq, uh, yeah. I actually, I was lucky enough not to, you know, go go all fritzy on you, but I, I had a chance to meet him when I worked at Jimmy Kimmel. And not only is he just an absolute behemoth of a man, you can't even put into words what it's like to stand next to him. And yeah, I'm not a, a short guy by any means, but I felt like a little baby, like he could just kind of hold me in his hands. But what he's done on, you know, on NBA, on TNT, just such a great personality and just, as a dude in general, everything he's done after his career, good on Shaq, you're the, you're, you're the man. But I've got a dude of the week, too, and it's actually two dudes. MLB is obviously kicking off here in the last week. A couple of MLB newbies are making some hot, hot starts to their careers. you got Urban Mercedes, the big old bruiser from the Chicago White Sox. He went eight for eight to start his career. He's come back down to earth a little bit, but he's still hitting 565, 13 for 23. Love seeing that. And then Akil Badu probably the best name in the game, 455 batting average. He homered in his first at bat on the first pitch, and he walked it off against the Twins the other day as the team that drafted him, so that had to feel sweet. 
He is the first player in modern Major League history to hit a home run, a grand slam, and then a walk-off hit in his first three career games. So, Yerman, Akil Badu, good on you guys. You guys are the dudes of the week. Yeah, and I, I, I think the video of, of Badu's parents watching him hit the home run was really great. Awesome. They could rope him in there. They, that family wins dude of the week. And then my dud of the week, uh, I'll throw myself under the bus for that Brooks Kepka take. Uh, I still ho- hope he wins, but he probably won't. But then my my real one that I had planned this week was uh, the Golden State Warriors, who oh, God. lost by 50 million points to the Toronto Bay Raptors. The, the, a day after Ryan came on this podcast and said, next year, the Lakers and Warriors will be the class of the Western Conference. Um, there he is. <laughs> the Warriors went out and beat the Bucks. I mean, it was the Giannis-less Bucks. He didn't play, but they still went out and beat the best in the East. So, you know, go ahead and swallow that thing there, Andrew. Just because, and just wait till Clay Thompson comes back and starts splashing threes. Everybody's going to just come back and say, Ryan, you were right, dude. Well, my dud of the week, and it's actually it just happened today, I would say it was the umpire who let – so let's let's scale it back. Marlins, Mets today, bases loaded. Michael Conforto wins it with a hit-by-pitch, a walk-off hit-by-pitch. You look at it in slow-mo, he clearly stuck his elbow out with that huge pad that he has on his elbow and just took one for the team. Apparently it's not reviewable, so certainly – you know, so the Mets win the game on – what was a controversy or call? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame the ump because that's tough to see in real time. I mean, that's a 96 mile an hour fastball coming in there. It's really the rules. I mean, how can you if if it's deciding a game? I don't care if it's a hit by pitch, a walk, whatever. How do you not make something that ends a game reviewable? So MLB, just another reason why you can't have nice things. It is what it is. Well, and you forgot the best part. He he got hit by a pitch that was in the strike zone. Yeah, it was a strike. He was he was gonna strike out. And he stuck his elbow in the strike zone and he got hit and they won the game. So I'm just going to start doing that every time I play softball now. Dap up with that huge pad. Anytime you're down one, two, oh, two, just stick your elbow out there and take your base, man. I mean, it, yeah, that's it's another clown show. I think we've used that too many times on the show, but it, it, that's what it is. And that's what Major League Baseball has kind of done to themselves. But it was a great show today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Andrew Schuster, as always, bringing the fire, even though your take on the Warriors is uh, unfounded and really actually hurtful but we'll move on from it we'll come we'll come back next week real strong thanks everybody for listening we'll see you later the walk-ons.